Thank you, worship team, for reminding us this great truth. God is with us, goes before us, behind us. And one of the ways he's providing for our church is in Joe Jones as an elder. I'm so excited that he's going to be joining us on our elder team and just commend him to you. You've heard his preaching, benefited from his ministry. I'm looking forward to him continuing on our preaching team and him and Rachel continuing to grow in ministry here in this church. This morning, I want to speak to you about how deacons serve and strengthen the church. Joe's going to become an elder, and we also have another office, deacons, how they serve and strengthen the church. And I can imagine someone thinking, well, this doesn't sound very exciting. Uh, you might not even really know what a deacon is. Why should we spend a whole sermon talking about a role that only a few people have in the church? So I want to take it out of the abstract, bring it down to earth with a story about a man who was homeless. And this man began attending worship in a local church. He went to a ministry that the deacons organized for people with different disabilities, a support group. Depending on the time of year, this man would stay in a Salvation Army shelter or maybe couch surf. And once the pastor of the church found him sleeping in the Sunday school room with a box containing all his belongings. They started having conversations together and this pastor learned that this man struggled with alcohol abuse and drug abuse, depression, bipolar disorder. He had been sexually and physically abused as a child. But through the love of this church, through the ministry of the word, this man experienced God's salvation in Christ. And he grew in his love for the word of God and for the people of God. And eventually, the elders of the church recommended this man to the congregation as a deacon in the church. And he became a deacon who delighted in taking care of the physical properties. But even more than that, he delighted in ministering to people. The pastor said he seeks to serve those living with some of the struggles he has experienced. He has invited many to attend worship and hear the gospel. And during worship, he can be found helping or encouraging someone who struggles with more disability than himself. What a blessing to the people of God he is. I tell you that story to take the subject of deacons out of the official abstract realm of church polity and bring it down into the nitty-gritty realities of life in a broken, suffering world. Because deacon ministry is about broken people, broken people like me and like you, experiencing the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, and then through the experience of God's mercy in Christ Jesus, learning to demonstrate that mercy to others who are in need of experiencing the mercy of God in Christ. And our elder team wants to celebrate the ministry of deacons in our church. We have had for 12 years a very faithful representation of deacon ministry as countless needs have been met and people have been served in quiet ways through the ministry of our deacons. And it's because of how much we value the work our deacons are doing that we want to continue to expand and deepen the ministry of deacons at New Covenant. So we're asking our members on January 30th in our membership meeting 
to approve changes to our church constitution that is going to allow our deacon ministry to become more nimble and more responsive to the vast needs of our church and our community. And we are asking you as a congregation to join us in our desire to welcome women into the ministry of deacons. We believe this will enhance and expand our deacons' ability to serve more needs and more people even better. And if you weren't at the Sunday evening event on September 26, where we laid out a detailed rationale for these changes, it's still online and you can access that on the resource page of our website and listen to that rationale. We also had an instructional time on a Sunday morning in November. My hope is that all our members will embrace this and support the direction the elders want to lead us in. And what I want to do today is give you three reasons why we as a church should appreciate and support the ministry of deacons. God does beautiful work in the church and in the community through the ministry of deacons. So why should we appreciate and support their ministry? I'm gonna give you three reasons. And the first might come as a surprise to you. The first reason we should support and appreciate the ministry of deacons is because our Lord Jesus himself was a deacon. Now I hope that sets you thinking a little bit because we think of Jesus as Lord, and savior, prophet, priest, king, other titles, but not very often do we praise Jesus for being the deacon. And the reason this might sound strange to us is because how we've formalized the word deacon. It's become something that seems kind of remote, a position that just a few people in the church hold. So I want to take you to this central text of Mark's gospel. Let's put Mark 10.45 up on the screen where it says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the hinge that is at the center of Mark's gospel. Everything turns on this. Jesus is the glorious son of man. He's the one who is prophesied in the book of Daniel as coming to the ancient of days, the eternal almighty God. And as he came before the ancient of days, the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed, Daniel says. So because of who the Son of Man is, he has every right to have all the universe serving him. But what did he do? He left his throne and his kingly crown, and he came down. And when he came he did not enter our world with the regalia and pomp and splendor of a king. No, he came in obscurity. He came in poverty. He came in weakness. He came not to be served. Even though he had every right to be served, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many 
to die the scandalous, excruciating, humiliating death of a criminal on a Roman cross for our sins. Now listen, do you realize what the origin of the word Mark uses to describe what the Son of Man came to do, what what the origin of that word is, that word serve? It's, It's the word for which we get our English word deacon. In the Greek, you can even hear it. A deacon is a diakonos. Diakonos means servant. So you could literally translate Mark 10.45 like this. Let's put another slide up there. You could say, for even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world to deacon, to serve this world of rebels by giving his life. Now, reflecting on this, Matt Smethurst writes, the work of deacons is glorious, not because it is always seen, it isn't, not because it always gratifies the one who does it, it doesn't. Ultimately, the work is glorious because of what it mirrors. It mirrors the servanthood of Jesus himself. That should give us a sense of the dignity of this office of deacon. It mirrors the servanthood of Jesus himself. Now, this is a concept that's richly rooted in the Old Testament. If you would turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 41, we're just going to scroll quickly through a few of these passages where Isaiah speaks of the servant, God's chosen servant. And in Isaiah 41, beginning at verse 8, we read these words. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. This is how God wanted his people to view their vocation, their identity, their role in this world. God's chosen servant. And they were to bring God's light to the nations. Now, sadly, their own sin obscured that light and compromised their mission. But God in his mercy promised pardon for their sins. So go to Isaiah 44 now. And look at these beautiful words in verse 21. Remember these things, Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. Israel, you will never be forgotten by me. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So God is not going to let the sins of his people keep them from becoming the people he wants them to be in this world. He's going to make them his servants. And he he wipes away their sins like a cloud or like a mist. But God never does that for his people. He never forgives our sins just so that we can enjoy the forgiveness for ourselves. He always forgives our sins so that we can then take the gospel blessings we've received and be conveyors of those blessings to others. So we read this in Isaiah 49, verse 6. 
where the Lord says this, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. In other words, I didn't rescue you just so you could be in your own little clan and serving and enjoying one another. Instead, he says this, I will also make you a light for the nations, and here's an awesome phrase, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's God's plan for his people. And thankfully, God does not send us out into the world to do this all by ourselves. As we look at these servant songs in Isaiah, we see that these words about the servant start to zoom in on a very special person. Someone who is going to represent the entire nation and do what they failed to do. And by the time we get to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, the identity of this special person becomes unmistakably clear. He is the one who is going to be highly exalted only after he undergoes the profound humiliation and suffering of dying for the sins of his people. Jesus is the suffering servant who came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus is the deacon who offers his life as a ransom for many. And clearly, Jesus understood that deacon was at the heart of who he was supposed to be. Because you remember when Jesus started his earthly ministry, what did he do? He went into a synagogue in Nazareth. We can read about this in Luke chapter 4. And as he began his ministry, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus opened the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61. And he read these words, Isaiah 61, he read these words. You can read this in Luke 4.18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he sat down and everyone was looking at him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. I'm the suffering servant who came into this world to serve. So we love to worship Jesus as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, but we should add to our adoration this title, Deacon of Deacons, Servant of Servants. Because through his servanthood, Jesus turns our concept of greatness upside down. We think the great ones are the ones that have a lot of people serving them and meeting their needs. But Jesus says, no, true greatness is found in how deeply you stoop to serve the needs of others. And you remember that's exactly what he did. On the day before he died, what did Jesus do? He gathered his disciples into the upper room to have a meal together. And as they got into that place, tired, sweaty, dirty, dusty from traveling. They came into the house and they got into the welcoming area. And you could just imagine all the disciples standing around saying hi to one another. No one wants to move into the room because you can't move into the room until the host has washed your feet to show you're welcome here. And all the disciples are standing around. They're looking around. Who's going to do it? I'm not going to do it. You think I'm going to wash his feet? No way. And they're astonished to see Jesus, their Lord and Master, 
go grab a basin, get a towel, put it over his wrist, and kneel down and take their dirty, stinky feet into his hands and wash them, serving them. And even then, they don't get the point because Luke tells us they start arguing among themselves which of them is the greatest. And so Luke tells us what Jesus then said. Luke 22, 27. Who is greater? The one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You see what he's doing? He's showing us how high his glory is by how low he's willing to stoop, by how deeply he's willing to serve. We can learn a lot from this. What are you like when you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, when you're suffering, when you're feeling down and depressed, weary, worried? Do you, in moments like that, Find yourself looking around a room saying, who can I serve? Who has needs right now that I can minister? Who has feet that need to be washed? I mean, most of us aren't thinking that way when we're really suffering. And here's Jesus about to bear the wrath of God for our sins. He he knows he's going to go to the cross. And he's looking for feet that need to be washed. Tim Keller says we can really learn from this. He says, a real servant does not say... When I get my life together, when I get over my blues, when I get my schedule in order, then I will start to minister. Perhaps you are hurting, and you may even be angry because no one is noticing. But where would you be if Jesus had your attitude? Where would you be? Jesus served us when he had the weight of the wrath of God bearing down on him, getting ready to go to the cross for our sins. He served his disciples when he knew that one of them had just been walking those dusty roads, arranging with the rulers and leaders for a way to betray him and to hand him over to be crucified. And he took his feet and washed them. He served those disciples when he knew that one of them that very night would betray him three times. And he said, Peter, here, let me take your feet and wash them for you. He served them when he knew that all of them were going to flee from him and forsake him in his hour of greatest need. He stooped down and he served. Jesus, the deacon of deacons, the servant of servants. That's why we should appreciate and support the ministry of our deacons because they are doing Jesus-like work. That's what they're doing. And as we all have received the deacon servanthood of Jesus ourselves, We are being transformed as well. And that brings us to the second reason we should deeply appreciate and support the deacon ministry of the church. It's because our deacons embody and exemplify what all of us Christians are supposed to do and to be. Jesus calls all who follow him to be deacons. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is one of your roles now. You're a deacon, you're a servant. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point, but it's vital that we get it. So let me read to you a few verses that are probably pretty familiar to many of you, but I'm just going to change one word. And all I'm going to do is just give you the literal word instead of the word we're familiar with. I'm going to give you the word that's from the Greek, and and I want you to hear it in a fresh way. Here's Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12, and listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. 
the greatest among you shall be your deacon, your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or listen to Mark 9, verse 35. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon of all, servant of all. And finally, listen to John 12, 26, just replacing the word serves with the literal word. Jesus says, if anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my deacon, my servant, be also. If anyone deacons me, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You, you see the point. We are all called who follow Jesus to be deacons, to be servants of one another and in the world. And the, 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 the deeper point is that we do not set apart deacons in the church so that they can do all the deaconing, all the serving, and we sit by and wonderfully, comfortably watch them and get served by them. That's not why we set apart deacons in the church. We set apart deacons in the church to be examples and equippers of all of us to serve. Deacons are exemplary, exemplary models. They're mentors for the work that we're all called to do. And so we support and we appreciate their ministry because what they're doing is they're mentoring us. They're mobilizing us to reflect Jesus's ministry in our church and in our community. And that brings us to the third and last reason we should appreciate and support the ministry of deacons. And that's because God establishes deacons in the church for a vital purpose. And here's the purpose. Deacons ensure that the gospel we proclaim is demonstrated in practical action. That the gospel we speak as a church is demonstrated in deed. And that's vital. Because what does James tell us? Faith without works is dead. Okay? If people see us just talking the talk, but they don't see it embodied in action, it will have no impact. John says the same thing in 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. And so deacons are people, they are exemplary servant leaders who are on the lookout they're making sure that the church is paying attention to this command. They're making sure the church is taking every opportunity to demonstrate the gospel that we proclaim with practical actions that beautify and adorn the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament, in the first few chapters after the day of Pentecost, you're going to see that the church is just multiplying and growing exponentially. The word is spreading. And one of the things that we see in the early chapter of Acts is that the church is unified. They have all things in common and no one is lacking anything. Everyone's needs are being met. It's a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel to transform a community. But in Acts chapter 6, there's a speed bump. And momentum is starting to get hindered because a dispute arises in the church. 
And it's a dispute that is starting to re, uh, build fault lines between ethnic and racial divisions in the church. There's Greek-speaking people in the church, and there's Hebrew-speaking people in the church. And what happens is that the Greek-speaking church people come and they say, our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of benevolence, and the Hebrew widows are getting special treatment. And this is a serious problem. Because if this erupts into a crisis, the unity of the church is going to be fractured, the spread of the word of God is going to be hindered, and the witness of the church is going to be harmed. So this dispute cannot be ignored. And the apostles know that we need to act. But they also know that we can't neglect our primary duty. We've got to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And if we stop doing that, the word of God's not going to go forward. So what do we do? To solve this very important issue in the church, they appoint a group of men who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and they ask them to create and to administrate a solution to this problem. And because these men de demonstrate skill and wisdom in addressing this practical need, the crisis is averted. And we read these words in Acts 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread... The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The word continues to go forward because these men stepped up and administrated and cared for a very practical need. Now, you're not going to find the word deacon in Acts chapter 6, but most people agree that what you have in Acts chapter 6 is like the beta version of deacons. And, and it's like the seeds that, that are, are being planted. And we know that in, in no long time, this office starts to emerge in the church of deacon. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. This is the second to last passage I'm going to have you turn to. Philippians 1, verse 1. And you see that by the time Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, this ministry of deacon had already emerged in the church. Paul says this, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So overseer here is a term that describes the function of the office of elder. They are to oversee the church. And then the word diakonos is used here to describe not servants in general, but a particular group who are set apart to function as deacons. You can see here this distinction between two offices and roles in the church. Overseers are responsible to lead and guide the church, and they do that primarily through the ministry of the word of God, through teaching and preaching and prayer and shepherding. Deacons are servant leaders who are called to assist the elders in mobilizing the body of Christ to serve one another and to serve the community with deeds of mercy. Recently, our deacons have read a book by Matt Smethurst, and he describes the irreversible gift that deacons are to the church like this. They are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to tangible needs in the life of the church. In what ways do they serve? By assisting the elders, guarding the ministry of the word, organizing service, caring for the needy, preserving unity, mobilizing ministry, and more. That sounds pretty important to me. That's a lot of service. That, that meets a lot of needs in the life of the church. 
So what kind of people should we be looking for to serve in this vital ministry? Here's where I want us to turn to the last passage. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you could turn there in your Bibles, you'll find that Paul first describes the ministry of elders, which is what we're nominating Joe Jones for in verses 1 through 7. And then he moves to the ministry of deacons in verses 8 through 13. And what stands out as you read these two passages side by side is that the same qualities of character and of faith are required for both elders and deacons. And that when you look at these qualities of character and faith that are required of elders and deacons, they're really just the types of qualities of character and faith that you want to see in every Christian. There's nothing extraordinary about these qualities of character and faith. So elders and deacons are to be examples of what all Christians aspire to be. Now let's look at verse 8, where Paul focuses on four areas of self-control that deacons must demonstrate in their character. Verse 8, deacons likewise should be worthy of respect. So this is talking about their character, their behavior. Worthy of respect, not hypocritical or double-tongued, this is talking about their speech. They're not people who talk out of both sides of their mouth. Their speech is sincere and trustworthy. Not drinking a lot of wine or given to wine, not under the control of alcohol. They're self-controlled in their use of alcohol and in their attitude toward money. They're not greedy for money, we see, which is very important for deacons because deacons are often entrusted with the stewardship of church funds. And they must not make financial decisions with an eye towards selfish gain. Then in verse 9, Paul reminds us that this office is not just a practical office. It is a office, an office requiring spiritual maturity. They have to hold the mystery of the faith, which is the central doctrines of Orthodox Christianity. They have to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Sometimes we think that all a person needs to be able to do to be a deacon is know how to use a hammer well or know how to read an Excel spreadsheet and do a budget. But Paul's saying, no. There needs to be spiritual maturity. Deacons need to have a firm grasp on the Christian faith. Unlike elders, deacons do not need to have an aptitude for teaching. They don't need to be skilled in teaching. But like elders, deacons need to know what they believe. And in 1 Timothy 1 verse 19, Paul speaks about false teachers who have rejected a good conscience, and because they've rejected a good conscience, they have shipwrecked their faith. So deacons need to be people that the church can be confident in that they will hold true, they will hold firm to the truth of God's word with a sincere conscience and with strong convictions. Then verse 10, they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. In other words, the kind of people you want serving as a deacon are people who are already working hard at meeting needs without being asked and without wanting or needing credit. In verse 
12, he speaks of their responsibilities at home, that they are to be husbands of one wife or a one-woman man, faithful in marriage, managing their children and their own households competently. So before we ask, why would anyone want to do a ministry that's all about meeting needs and not getting any credit for it? Let me just say a word about why we as elders are eager to pursue and to welcome women into our ministry as deacons. And again, I'm not going to go into all the reasons because we did this in September. Again, in November, those resources are available and we are happy to have conversations with people in the next couple weeks if you still have questions about it. But in verse 11, look at verse 11. If you have an ESV or a CSB Bible, you'll see the word translated wives there. That word is simply the word for women. That word is translated women in many places in the New Testament. And if you have a New American Standard Bible or a 2011 NIV, that's exactly what you'll see, women. Let me read 1 Timothy 3.11 out of the NIV. It says, in this same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy worthy in everything. And what we did in September and again in November is give a rationale for why we as elders hold to the conviction that the office of elder in the church is to be reserved for godly, qualified men. But the office of deacon is open to both godly, qualified women and men. And we believe that verse 11 is best understood as referring to women who are serving the church as deacons. We believe the same thing in Romans 16.1, where we see an example in Phoebe of a woman who served as a deacon. And all I want to say at the conclusion of this sermon is that when we merged as a church 12 years ago, one of the churches that was involved in this merger had women serving in deacon-like roles. They were deaconesses in that church. The other church did not have women serving in deacon roles. And we agreed then that we would take some time to study this, to pray about this, to think about this. So we did. We took some time. We took 12 years. And in the last few years, as elders, we've been studying, praying, thinking about this in more detail and we are persuaded that our church will be stronger as a result of welcoming women into this vital ministry as deacons. In fact, I've believed for 30 years that the church is strengthened by having women serving as deacons, if a church is also led by men who are godly qualified elders. So again, I'm not going to give a rationale. I'm just going to say this is biblically and theologically defensible. I don't think it's provable biblically, but it's defensible it is historically indisputable. There is very strong historical evidence that, whoops, sorry, that's a used communion cup, I'm sorry. Um, there is very strong historical evidence that women served in deacon roles from the earliest years of church history. And all I want to do at the end of this sermon is just say to you that I think it is practically very beneficial for the health and flourishing of a church's ministry to have women serving 
as deacons. Adding women to this ministry will deepen our awareness of the needs of our congregation and of our community. It's going to help us see new opportunities to minister and to serve in the name of Jesus. Women deacons will strengthen our care for widows. They will strengthen our sensitivity and care of single moms. They will help us serve the women in our congregation, and they will help us in ministry to all the people of our church and community. So I started with a story. Let me end with a story that I think illustrates what I've just said. This is written by a woman who serves as a deacon in her church, along with her husband in Los Angeles. And this woman and her husband have a non-for-profit ministry that is designed to care for young people who are in the foster system. And in the foster care system, it it was brought to their attention by a Christian lawyer in LA who particularly focuses on caring for pregnant women, young women who are in the foster care system. This Christian lawyer came to this woman deacon and her husband and told them that there are presently 300 pregnant young women in the foster care system in LA. And they were sobered by this. And the Lord gave them an idea. What if we could throw a baby shower for all of them? And she talks about how her church had recently inherited this beautiful building in the city. And they talked with their pastor about it and he was very supportive. And so there was this collaborative effort between the nonprofit and the church. And the lawyer selected 11 girls who were particularly vulnerable. And so what the church did, the deacons paired each of these young women, these 11 young women, with a woman from the church. And they said, we wanted this to feel like a baby shower, not merely a foster event. So we prayed that these girls would feel the same level of love and anticipation that many of us did at our showers. Through this effort, the church raised $3,000 to give to these women And the shower had all the bells and whistles. Guys, we don't know a whole lot about this, but flowers, fancy food, a coffee cart, table games, a photo booth, all donated and organized by sisters in the church. And she said, at the time, our nonprofit had an unbelieving intern who'd never set foot inside a church building. She was startled and amazed to see for the first time Christian love. On the day of the shower, the girls were each given a crib, high chair, embroidered bag, formula, diapers, stuffed animals, and a year's worth of baby clothes. A photographer came and took professional portraits of each girl, which were stunning and dignifying. It's hard for me to imagine an all-male group of deacons pulling this off. This requires collaborative work, the wisdom, the contributions of godly sisters in Christ. I love this. Our goal was modest. We simply wanted to find ways to honor these girls in their decision to choose life in the face of challenges, to celebrate them for having little and still walking into this brave choice. What a privilege to be able to offer a small glimpse of God's heart for the downtrodden. 
Our work as deacons simply spearheaded an effort that allowed so many to serve together. I will never forget it. So church, I want to urge you to support, to appreciate the ministry of deacons. And I want to urge each of us to position ourselves to be equipped and mobilized by their ministry to demonstrate the gospel to one another and to the Fox Valley in word and in deed. And I also want to urge some of you to consider prayerfully now whether God might be calling you to serve as a deacon in New Covenant Bible Church. After we vote on January 30th, we're going to be offering some training sessions. If you're interested, please reach out to Pastor Patrick or to any of the elders and let us know. We'd love to start talking with you about that. And I especially want to encourage women, our sisters in Christ, to consider prayerfully whether God is calling you to join this ministry. We're so thankful for the godly men who've served in this ministry for a long time. And we don't want them to stop. We want them to continue. But they and we as elders are eager. We are pursuing now. We are praying to God that he will raise up some godly women who will say, yes, I want to join in this ministry. Because we need godly women in order for this ministry to reach its full potential. So why would anyone want to do this if it's often unnoticed and not rewarded in this life? Here's why. Let me just read the last verse of this section, 1 Timothy 3.13. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I find it striking in this passage that Paul doesn't specify a reward for the elders in verses 1 through 7, but he does for the deacons in verses 8 through 13. A good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Would you join me now in praying this for our deacons and praying for the deacon ministry of our church?